Pope John Paul II characterized our culture as a culture of death. A culture of death. This week, it's particularly, those words come particularly uh, hard when, I, when we heard of what happened in Uvalde, a culture of death. And yet, we are celebrating the Feast of the Ascension. And so the question that I have struggled with all week long is... We are in the world, but not of the world. And so in some way or another, there, the world and not of the world are linked. And what I'd like to do for the homily today is um, basically a little more think out loud with you on the connection, because as I've struggled with this all week, by the way, I, I struggle with it because I, I don't give you canned homilies. I, I don't just spout off. I, I, I really have to, you really have to think about this. I, I take preaching very, very seriously. But anyway, uh, I just want you to think aloud with me um, because I, I want to ask the, what the question is. The question is, does our faith have anything to say about what happened? And um, how should we try to understand it? And what shall we do about it? So allow me, it's going to be somewhat of a little bit of a, I guess, of a complicated homily. But try, try and follow me. I, I think you can. I think you can. There are, every time we have a mass shooting like this, there's three elements that I think have to be worked through. One is the weapon. The second is the shooter. And the third is the culture. Let me just kind of gloss over the first two. Well, not, not the second one, but the weapon. Immediately, immediately we have people blaming the weapon, and and you know, I guess, I, I guess that I'm not totally against you know more control of weapons. Uh, I think we need that, but there's millions of weapons in the United States, unless you're planning to take them away from everybody. So I I don't want to get into that debate. <laughs> There's a little, there's a little limerick. I'm not a little, a little ditty. I don't know what else to call it. That has always has always made me 
wince and smile at the same time. And that is the, the story of the wolf who was attacking sheep. And as sheep were dying, the sheep got together to decide what they were going to do about it. And they pointed out that it was the wolf's teeth that were the problem. That it was the wolf's teeth that was killing the sheep. And so they came up and voted and passed a resolution that they should ban teeth from all the sheep. They couldn't ban them from the wolf, but they banned them from the sheep. That makes sense to me. I don't think removing all guns from people makes sense because criminals will have them no matter what. But let me put that aside. The shooter. <clears throat> the young man who shot those kids. The young man who shot those kids was formed by the third variable. So I'll take them together. The culture. And that's when it came to my mind that John Paul II had called us a culture of death. And when I thought about it in light of the Uvalde shootings, it started, I started getting all kinds of different echoes in my head. You know the first echo that came to me? The massacre of the innocents. When Herod went and killed probably hundred babies because he was killing, trying to find the Christ. The massacre of the, of the innocents. And then the next part that came to my mind was, of course, the several million abortions. Of course, a lot of us in this culture don't count those as humans, but they are. We don't see their blood because it's kept sanitary, but our culture is swimming in it. That's part of why I call, John Paul called us a culture of death. Also, if you look at our television programming, and I'm as guilty as anybody, I enjoy a war movie or a, a, um, a detective movie, Catch the Bad Guys, and we play lots of games. In, in games, we shoot people left and right, and our kids are doing that all the time. We're constantly very confused about everything, and sexuality is up in the air, and uh, uh, everything is up in the air. And it's actually not surprising that everything is up in the air. If you ever have an inkling to find out philosophically why, look up the word postmodernism. Postmodernism is the philosophy that is everywhere right now. It's called postmodernism 
because modernism is when we thought science could solve everything and that human reason could solve everything. But postmoderns began after the two world wars in which people saw that what science had done is invented more ingenious ways of killing people. And people lost their faith in science. And so everything has been disconnected. And uh, if you want to know what postmodernism kind of comes down to is one word, whatever, whatever. There's no truth, there's nothing, there's make it up as you go, do whatever you, do whatever the hell you want. And I use, by the way, when I use the word hell, I'm using it correctly in church. It's a good word not to forget in church. Whatever the hell you want to do. There's a great philosopher that I pay a lot of attention to that illuminates a lot of what I struggle with. He's dead, and he was not a friend of Christianity. The philosopher was a 19th century, was born in 1845, and died in 1900. A German philosophy by the name, philosopher by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche. And Friedrich Nietzsche was the one who coined the phrase, the death of God. God is dead, and we have killed him. Now, I want to spend a little time telling you a little bit about what he meant by that. God is dead, and we have killed him. Nietzsche grew up in Germany, the 19th century, and he noticed what other philosophers had noticed. Soren Kierkegaard in the Netherlands, a Christian who noticed it too. But he noticed that religion had fallen into being a kind of a formality. Nobody really believed in it anymore. But, you know, we were used to going to church. And it was a nice... Um, what people call the God of the gaps. You know, if you don't understand something and science has not yet had time to explain it, stick a little God in there and that'll make the dam not fall. The God of the gaps. But nobody took it seriously, took religion seriously, Christianity seriously, as a mode of explanation of anything. It was more God is up there and we're doing things. And science can solve it. That was during the modern era. You know, science can solve everything. We don't need God to explain everything. We don't need God to explain our morality. We can vote on our morality. And it's a dem democracy was, was rising high. And we can keep the fruits of the Christian faith, but we don't have to believe in the roots of it, but we can 
keep the fruits of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, respect, value of human life. We can keep all of those things, but we don't have to believe that much in God. Yeah, yeah, God a little bit, yeah. But we can keep all those things. And you can already see this. You can already see this in the four in our the, the, the founders of the United States. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, and that these rights among them are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and so on and so on. And they mention God, but when you speak about, when you, when you study that era, you find that, that most of the founding fathers were what's, were what's called deists, D-E-I-S-T-S, deists. And what a deist is, is a person who believes in God, yeah, but he's up there, and God, God only knows what he's doing, literally. And he doesn't get involved in the affairs of human beings. But he's a good, a good God to anchor all these things to, these rights to, that they are endowed by their creator. Yes, let's hook it up to God so that our rights and liberties are hankered onto the creator. But he really doesn't have too much of an influence on us on our daily, on our daily behavior. And along comes Friedrich Nietzsche. About 50, 60, 70 years later, in 1845, he's born. And he's philosophizing close to a, in the 1870s, 1880s, he's philosophizing. He begins about believing in God, but then he looks around at the way Christianity is being practiced. And he says, this is all bull. This is all stupid. All these people are doing it is because it's a formality. And then there is really no God because nobody really relies on him anymore. We keep him around, but it hasn't dawned on people. It hasn't dawned on people that, in effect, God is dead and we have killed him. What he meant by that is the idea of God is, yeah, it's around, but nobody really, people think of it, people go to church, but nothing. God is dead, and we have killed him. But then he went further, which is why I have such mixed feelings about Friedrich Nietzsche. Because Friedrich Nietzsche understood that you could not presume the death of God and for long presume that you could hold on to the fruits of the religion that he belonged to, Christianity. You see, what people were doing is they were saying, yeah, God, but he's all right, but nothing, we don't really believe in him. But we really like the fruits of Christianity, the, 
the rights, the duties, the respect. We like all of that stuff. But science and philosophy have taken the place of God. In essence, we wanted the fruit, but we did not want the root of the tree that produced the fruit. We did not want that, God. We just wanted the fruits, rights, free speech, human dignity, and all of that. And he said, and Friedrich Nietzsche kept on saying, you know, I'm speaking, I know what's going to happen. And mind you, he's speaking like this in the 19th century, late 19th century. And he says, I am going to predict generally what's going to happen in the next 200 years. And in the next 200 years, people are going to be aware of what they have killed. Because when you kill the roots, the fruit hangs on for a little while. But pretty soon, without the roots, the fruit begins to rot. And so, essentially, he was correct. He died in 1900. And guess what happened in the 20th century? World War I, where national pride took over and human, human value and, and human dignity took a second Everybody was against, I'm German, I'm English, I'm French. We're all fighting. We are replaced. We, Nietzsche wrote a book called the, 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 the Death of Idols, I think. Something about idols. And he was talking about that. That since we don't have a God anymore, we put something else up there. Something, something is always, always remember that the word worship mean you everybody worships something the word worship is the etymology is quite simple it's worth w-o-r-t-h worth and ship ship is the art or practice of anything whatever you hold in highest value is your highest worth so you worth ship just like penmanship authorship, craftsmanship, worthship is the art or practice of what you find greatest worthwhile. So you worship something. Most of the time we had God there. But then began the 19th century. And then you got nations going against nations because God was no longer there. And so we had made the state God. Because I'm, I'm a Frenchman, I'm an Englishman, I'm a Russian, I'm an Italian, I'm an Austrian. And people went off to die for that. And then came the Second World War. Because, oh, but first came the Communist Revolution in Russia in 1918 and further down. And when that was based on the rejection of God and the, the fact that a philosopher had come up with a way to replace God with a worker's paradise. But first they had to be violence because first we had to kill all the bourgeois so that the proletariat, those who are part of the, the people who are being, uh, who are the workers, have to overthrow, 
all the owners of the properties and take them and make it a worker's paradise. We replaced heaven with a worker's paradise. And then came World War II, came Hitler, and he wanted to establish another heaven on earth for Aryans. No God anymore, just a, 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 a Reich that would last a thousand years. And then that went down. And then we made a God out of democracy. And we do that. We, we, well, democracy, democracy, as if that were God, as if we can live without God. But you know what happens is you get what's called postmodernism, as I said. And now you look at our own society today. Look at our own society. Anything goes. We got people, transgender people walking around claiming to be women or men when they're actually just some reasonable facsimiles of each. And then we got people, you know, uh, claiming uh, everything from sports and sexuality is all mixed up. It, it, uh, of all the people that we prepare for marriage, I would say nine out of ten are living, are living together. P people don't, you're considered stupid if you don't live together or if you don't have sexual experiences. And it's all about me. You know, I, I have to express myself and you have to recognize it. I'm using different pronouns and you have to recognize me for what I am because I no longer am recognized by this God. Now you have to recognize me. We have to validate each other. We have to validate each other because the human being is empty without being recognized. It's interesting because that's the way God made us. God made us to be loved into existence. And when you do away with God, and when you still demand to be loved into existence, you seek the love of others. Thus, if I am claiming to be a woman, I need you to love me as a woman. I don't want you recognizing me as a man. And the moment you do that, I'm going to try to bring the power of the state against you. Now you might wonder, Father, why the heck are you saying all of this during the ascension? For a very good reason. Because what I have described for you in this tremendously long arc of the last 150 years of history is the culture in which the shooters grow up. The shooters grow up in a culture that is empty. Postmodernism. Whatever. And so what happens is these shooters are, if you look at them all, they're, most of them, I would say nine, nine out of ten out of them, are young men between 18 and 22, 23, 25 maybe. And what do they all lack? They all lack a sense of who they are. They are this guy, I, I, I can't even remember his name. It doesn't matter. Ramos, I think, was his last name. He grew up being bullied. He grew up with no religion, no, nothing at home. And the human being hates not being recognized not being loved. 
And the reason they hate being not loved is because that's the center of how you were made. You were made to be loved. In one way or another, you have to be loved and recognized. And when you are not loved and recognized, you feel empty. And you will turn towards anything in order to get attention. And lots of these young people, when the culture around them is filled with death, with lies, with make-believe, with all of this stuff, and when they can't, and when they're bullied, and when they're empty, do you know what they do? Not all of them. Many of them make it through for a while. But you know what they do later? Some of them do? They make, they make death itself the meaning of life. Haven't you ever seen goths? You ever heard of what a goth is? Those kids that dress all in black and they have skulls and everything hanging around. What are they doing? They are making, since there is no meaning in life, there is no God and no meaning. They're not getting any meaning from their friends at school. They don't fit into society. They don't fit in. They are empty. And so they have the choice between emptiness, between emptiness and fi or finding meaning, even if the meaning itself has to be death. I will find my meaning in my, my attention. You will give me my attention because I'm not loved. I, I don't, I've not been taught about God or anything. You will give me my attention or I will kill you and I will get my attention from who I kill because it's better to be noticed than to be forgotten. And so not all of them, and not many, thanks be to God. But why do you think we have an epidemic? Do you know how teen and young people's suicides have gone up like this? <laughs> Most of the time, these kids turn the guns on themselves. Teen suicide and young people's suicide is through the roof. You know, transgender is through the roof. Why? Because they're grasping at anything. There's nothing there. It's what's called postmodernism. There's nothing there. I may be a woman. I may be a guy. I, I, I may be anything. I may be a walrus. I, God only knows. But I need something to be because I don't feel anything. And some of them, thanks be to God, it's not many of them, but some of them, says, if life has rejected me, then I will reject life. I believe that these young men who choose to kill children do so because it's an unconscious wanting to kill the beginning of life. I had it rotten, and so they're going to have it rotten, and you parents are going to have it rotten because my life is rotten, and I might as well be recognized for something. And so they go and shoot children. Now, so what does this have to do with the ascension? I thought a lot about that. You see, the ascension, we always think of Jesus kind of rocketing up to heaven. And we're supposed to all 
kind of sit here and go, yay, Jesus, yay, you rocketed up to heaven. So what? So what? Until you finally begin to understand what it means. You see, the ascension is the other end of the incarnation. Think about it. When God came to our rescue, he came from heaven and became incarnate in a baby. And he came and he had a mission to complete. He had the mission to teach his apostles, to tell them that God is with us. He had that mission. And when he had completed the mission, when, when he was crucified, that was his hour. And he was crucified. He allowed all of the evil of the world to come to him. He took it upon himself. All of this evil. And then he allowed himself. And then on the cross, he looks up to heaven and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then he dies. And then he rises from the dead. But it's not quite finished. He keeps appearing to his disciples. Helping them to understand what the meaning of life is all about. Helping them to understand that they have been disconnected from God. The meaning of original sin, folks, is that we are disconnected from God. And so what you're doing is, when you're not reconnected with God, you are living on spiritual junk food. You're trying to postpone the crisis of meaning that's going to come to your life sooner or later. When the spiritual junk food that, that you've been feeding on, on popularity, on the performance that you have on, online, when you go to taking selfies, like that, what are you doing? You know what you're doing? You're performing. You're, perform you're not communicating, you're performing. And you know what? You're waiting for people to like, 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 like. And you're feeling validated. Oh, look, I got a thousand likes. I got a thousand likes. You feel good because you've been loved. And how many kids commit suicide because they're ignored or bullied online. Because that has become the validation point for many of us. We have substituted it for God. And then Jesus, after the resurrection, stands with his apostles and he says, go and preach to all nations. And then what he does is he, he ascends to heaven to finish the job. Just as he came down from Christmas, he goes up because he takes the entire mission that he had in, on earth and he brings it up to his father so that it's outside of time and space and now the mission exists eternally. That's why when we celebrate Mass, we're not doing it again. We are plugging in to the mission of Jesus which has been completed and lifted up to the Father in heaven. And that is the meaning of life. That is the meaning of our lives. And those of us who are Christians know that we live from the meaning of our lives to Jesus. But there's a lot of people who are not. A lot of our society had superficial religion. And when superficial religion became super superficial, they're abandoning it. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them.
Superficial religion is stupid until you begin to understand it. So, I'm looking at the clock, and I know you're going, how long is he going to go? But that's okay. You can hate me for a week. So what do we do? I don't know what we do. I don't think we have a fix for it. I, I think all we can do, those of us who are Christians, who are core Christians, I don't mean you're here to church. If you're here for church, good for you. Nice, welcome. Thank you. But if you're a Christian, <coughs> I really encourage you to live that Christianity and to learn it, to deepen it, so that you can become a signpost of meaning to the people that you meet. So that the people that you meet can sense that in you there is a complete person, not an empty person, a beggar of attention, because a lot of that's what we have in society. People who are begging to be recognized because they feel empty. And so I, I ask you to develop your relationship with God so that when people meet you, there's something different about you. Not superficial religion. See, look, if you're superficially religious, you may be doing more harm than good because people are sensing in you the superficiality of your religion. But if you're a religious person and who wants to reconnect, by the way, that's the meaning of the word religion, religare, reconnect to God, let that be deep. Let it become the center of your life. And I don't know how God will use it, but your responsibility and my responsibility is to make sure that we do that so that God has an instrument in his hands that he can show to people without you knowing it. This is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And that is the meaning of life. That is something that we were created for. And so, folks, I'm about to end. That's all I can give you. I'm not hopeful about society for the next few years. But I do know that that's not our business. That's God's business. I don't know where this is going. That's God's business. But I do know that it is our business to be whole human beings created by God in relationship with him so that when people come around us, they can smell something different. Paul sometimes called it the aroma of Christ. Something's got to be different when people meet you. And I don't mean superficial. I don't keep mean walking around with rosaries hanging off you. I mean something different. And what Jesus said, they will know that you are Christians, my followers, by the way you love one another. And so take it from your pastor who's gone on far too long. But that's okay. I just had to say it. I don't know what else to do. You know, I, I always take my my call to be a pastor seriously. And it's hard to tell you something meaningful in 10 minutes. But anyway, 
Reconnect with Jesus. Be a sign that life is not meaningless. And you're not going to fix the world, but let God use you in whatever your responsibility is to deliver to God a good instrument, an instrument that he can use in the lives of a lot of people who are very, very lost.